0: shameful. It's an embarrassment to the country, and it is a stain on this institution.
1: He's not talking about the broadcast, is he? <laughs> no. Okay.
2: Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something right.
1: No, it
2: ain't. I'm so scared in case I
1: fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs clouds to the left me jokers to the right here i am stuck in the middle with you here i am yes i'm stuck in the middle from pacifica you. radio in los angeles this is the broadcast as heard on kpfk 90.7 fm in la in red bluff and redding california on kfoi round mountains kkrn eureka's kgoe In Oregon, on the Central Coast, on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's Queso, and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania, on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio, on WGRN. In Palenville, New York, on WLPP. Grand Rapids, Michigan's WPRR. New Orleans, WHIV. Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, in Fayetteville, Arkansas on KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, in Janesville, Wisconsin on WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950, KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day. On the Internet, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, Sandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow with a few broken blood vessels in my brain today from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. And uh, Desi Doyen, I think we may have to notify affiliates that we'll be invoking (laughs) the extra hour rule today Uh, on the broadcast in order to (laughs) fit everything in.
2: Don't scare them unnecessarily. (laughs) Okay.
1: No, we will not have an extra hour, as a matter of fact, because I don't have an extra brain vessel to afford breaking in that extra hour at this point with everything that is going on today. Uh, So buckle up. Uh, Let's let's start here. Uh, The uh, thing that many of us had feared as soon as Donald Trump took office, that he would censor climate science, is now in fact coming to pass as the White House out and out blocked a senior intelligence official, who had testified to Congress on climate change from submitting his written testimony along with it and severely censored the actual testimony that he delivered in person before a congressional committee. White House officials barred a State Department intelligence agency from submitting written testimony last week to the House Intelligence Committee, warning that human-caused climate change is possibly, quote, Possibly catastrophic. The move came after State Department officials refused to excise the uh, document's references to federal scientific findings on climate change. Good for the State Department officials refusing to do that. According to The Washington Post, the effort to edit and ultimately suppress the prepared testimony by the State Department's Bureau of Intelligence and Research comes as the, state, uh, as the uh, Trump administration is debating how best to challenge the fact that burning fossil fuels is warming the planet and could pose serious risks unless the world makes deep cuts in greenhouse gas emissions over the next decade. Senior military and intelligence officials have continued to warn that climate change could undermine the U.S. national security, a position that President Trump rejects. What does he reject it based on? Nothing. He rejects it based on the fact that on Fox News, where all the fossil fuel interests hang out, they uh, told him this was all a hoax. Now, officials from the White House's Office of Legislative Affairs, Office of Management and Budget, National Security Council... All raised objections to parts of the testimony that Rod Schoonover, uh, who works in the Office of the Geographer and Global Issues at the State Department, uh, that he prepared to present on the Bureau's behalf for a hearing on Wednesday. The document that the White House is censoring lays out in stark detail the implications of what the administration faces in light of rising carbon emissions that the world has not curbed. The document says absent extensive mitigating factors or events, we see few plausible future scenarios where significant, possibly catastrophic harm does not arise from the compounding effects of climate change. Now, when Schoonover delivered his testimony during the hearing, for example, he was allowed to give the testimony but it looks as if uh, they just cut the hell out of what it was he had to say. They didn't allow any of the written test the uh, his his prepared testimony to be given to Congress. But they also cut out what he had to say, because when he said that phrase, except for the words possibly catastrophic that got cut after Trump officials censored the public remarks that he was allowed to give
2: and just to highlight what he said there he said there are few plausible scenarios Mm -hmm. in which possibly catastrophic harm does not occur
1: right yeah that I know a lot of double negatives there but no matter what in in almost every scenario almost every scenario will be catastrophic essentially right. is what he's saying and that is what was uh, what the white house did not allow him to say directly and did not allow him to say in his written testimony.
2: And I do want to jump in very quickly and just point out that his very next sentence after that is to say that the future is dependent on the actions that people take. So he's not saying that it's going to be automatically nothing Mm -hmm. we can do about it, catastrophic scenarios. He's saying we don't see any scenarios unless people take action.
1: White House officials took aim at the document's scientific citations, according to the Post, which refer to work conducted by federal agencies, including NASA and the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. Because, you know, you can't trust the science coming out of NASA. What do they know about science? What does NOAA know about science? According to that's the stuff they were cutting out, the stuff that comes from the federal government, from the scientists at the federal government. According to several senior administration officials, all of whom spoke on the condition of anonymity. Trump administration officials sought to cut several pages of the document on the grounds that its description of climate science did not mesh with the administration's official stance. Administration critics of the uh, testimony Included uh, that of William Happer, the National Security Council senior director who has touted the benefits of carbon dioxide and sought to establish a federal task force to challenge the overwhelming scientific consensus that human activity is driving the planet's rising temperatures. In another passage, uh, Happer objected to the phrase, quote, tipping point when describing a certain level of warming and how it could trigger devastating climate related impacts. Apparently, Happer wrote that "quote tipping points" is a propaganda slogan for the scientifically illiterate. They were a favorite of Al Gore's science advisor James Hansen, who, by the way, I think was the head of science at
2: NASA. (laughs) Yeah.
1: So uh, the the word the phrase "tipping points" is now propaganda of uh, for the scientific illiterate. By the way, is Happer a climate scientist? No, you know?
2: he is not. He is a physicist who worked in lasers.
1: Oh, well, then he knows all about this, doesn't
2: he? <laughs> it's not his area of expertise.
1: Administration officials said the Office of Legislative Affairs ultimately decided that uh, Schoonover could, in fact, appear before the House panel, but could not submit his office's statement for the record because it did not, in the words of one official, jibe With what the administration is seeking to do on climate change, a House Intelligence Committee aide confirmed that the panel received the written testimony of the two other intelligence officials who testified on Wednesday at a public hearing, but not schoonovers. Uh, this is uh, f- frightening, frankly, and I- I'm not all that easily frightened, to be frank, but this is what I grew up hearing about from foreign fascist nations like China or the old Soviet Union. We are now seeing this play out in front of our eyes. This is no longer, this is not a fear. This is now a reality in our country, in the United States of America, and it is coming from the very top of what is the entire corrupt Republican enterprise that is nothing more now, nothing more at this point than a placeholder for big business, period. And they will lie and they will cheat and they will censor and they will do whatever they can to retain their power, no matter the cost and no matter the price that will be paid now by humanity itself. That's uh, that's where they are. This is not a political thing. This is not a partisan thing. This is an existential thing. And folks in this country somehow better wake up and pay attention to what is going on here before our very eyes.
2: And recall that this was a hearing before the House Intelligence committee about the national security threats that climate change poses both to us here at home and to U.S. interests abroad. If your ideology prevents you from being able to admit basic national security threats, your ideology is a threat to national security.
1: Well said. It certainly is. Now, uh, speaking of this entire corrupt enterprise, I I, I hope to have a bit of a follow-up in the next day or so regarding my conversation on yesterday's broadcast with cybersecurity risk expert Chris Vickery, who discovered hundreds of files left online available for anyone to download, no password necessary, at the North Carolina State Board of Elections, including master passwords for uh, computerized voting and tabulation systems in the state. These master passwords, all of these documents, had apparently been online and available for the taking since at least February of 2016 in advance of the last presidential election. And as Vickery told me uh, when we spoke yesterday, this does not appear to be an accident in that this directory that it was in would have had to have been purposely set to make these files publicly available for some reason, for reasons that we still don't understand. But if you missed that show uh, and that interview with Chris Vickery of the cybersecurity firm UpGuard who discovered these files, I strongly recommend you give it a listen. You can download it from uh, bradblog.com or your favorite podcast site where I hope you are already subscribed. It's a bit chilling, to say the least. Uh, But because of that uh, new revelation from Vickery, Uh, that I wanted to help get out there yesterday on the broadcast, I put off a number of stories that I wanted to cover, including yet another story of GOP election corruption in, yes, North Carolina, which seems to be in competition these days for most horrific GOP electoral corruption uh, in the nation, uh, in competition, I think, with Florida and even more so these days, Georgia. Uh, It's a tough call, though. It's a tough call. In any event, uh, one of the stories I wanted to cover yesterday that I put off that I want you to know about air is I'm uh, I'm going to crib here from uh, from Stephen Wolf, known as Politics Wolf over on Twitter from his Daily Coast elections weekend voting roundup here. He pulls this entire mess and it is a mess out of North Carolina regarding gerrymandering. He pulls it all together pretty neatly for us. This is uh, separate now from what is a DHS investigation with uh, North Carolina into the state's voter registration systems, which, uh, as uh, evidenced from the intelligence community and the Mueller report now suggest, that voter registration system may have been penetrated by Russian military in advance of the 2016 election, along with several counties in Florida uh, and the state of Illinois. But what happened in North Carolina, whatever happened there, led to inexplicable problems at the polling place, uh, at a number of polling places in one of North Carolina's uh, largest counties on Election Day in 2016, as voters were showing up to vote and the voter registration system was telling them that they had already voted.
2: The electronic voter registration Correct. system.
1: Or that they had requested a vote-by-mail ballot, and these people hadn't. So it was kind of a a, a mess, uh, particularly in the largest county in the state, Durham, back on the uh, presidential election day in 2016, and to this day, nobody knows why. So now DHS is finally, two, what are we, two and a half years later at least, finally now agreeing to work with North Carolina on a forensic investigation Of those uh, voter registration laptops that uh, have hopefully, some of them at least, been quarantined since 2016 so that they can be looked at to figure out what happened here. But that's not the story that I'm talking about with Stephen Wolf. I'm also not talking about what I discussed yesterday (laughs) with Vickery in North Carolina regarding the master passwords for some of the state's voting systems being left online for anybody to download and I'm also not talking about the GOP absentee ballot fraud scandal in North Carolina last year that resulted in nobody being seated in the state's ninth congressional U.S. House district with a new special election now needing to be called for the U.S. House coming up, I think, in in July to finally um, to finally fill that seat. So all of those North Carolina election problems, I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about a completely different set of North Carolina election problems, which I think makes a pretty good argument, uh, backs up my argument that, uh, you know, they're in competition with Florida and Georgia for the worst electoral uh, state in the union. All right. So finally to Stephen Wolf, he writes earlier this year, redistricting reformers gained access to a trove of documents from a leading national architect of Republican gerrymandering. That would be the late Thomas Hoffeller. And we talked a little bit a little bit about him last week and the bombshell revelation that the GOP had plotted to add a citizenship question to the 2020 census, specifically to undermine Democrats and voters of color in redistricting. Uh, as the documents on Hoffeller's hard drive, the late Hoffeller's hard drive, showed. We covered that story last week. But that was just the beginning of the fallout from what was on this guy's hard drive. On Thursday last week, plaintiffs who are challenging the North Carolina GOP's legislative gerrymanders in state court, <laughs> the legislative gerrymanders in state court, this is separate. From the gerrymandering of U.S. House seats as found by a federal court, which ordered new U.S. House maps for the state in a case which now is pending before the U.S. Supreme Court.
2: Okay, so this is that was congressional seats. (coughs) This is now for state legislative seats. Right.
1: Now, the plaintiffs uh, are are challenging the uh, state's legislative gerrymanders in state court. They submitted. a new filing using the new Hoffeller documents to show that, in fact, the GOP lied in federal court on the other case. The filing concerns misrepresentations by, uh, uh, that Republicans made in that separate federal lawsuit over GOP-drawn legislative districts that a federal court had struck down for racial discrimination back in late 2016 and ordered those districts to be replaced. And that finding of racially gerrymandered districts is also different from the federal case that is now before the U.S. Supreme Court regarding partisan gerrymandering of U.S. House districts in the state. Are you following this, Des?
2: Trying to. I
1: know it's hard. I know. We Essentially, we've got...
2: There's just so much GOP three, corruption to go around.
1: I know. We've got three different cases of, uh, of gerrymandering by Republicans in North Carolina. A state case on the state legislative seats and two federal cases, one concerning racial gerrymandering and one concerning partisan gerrymandering. So following an appeal to the U.S. Supreme Court, which upheld the district court ruling, Republicans told the lower court in July of 2017, this is in regard to the er initial racial gerrymandering case, Republicans said that there was not enough time to draw new maps before a special election that year that was to be held, despite the fact that the court had uh, ordered these new maps to be drawn before the special elections. Republicans at that point said, we can't do it. It's too coming up too quick. We can't possibly draw these lines in time. They went as far as to claim that they had not even begun work on the new lines. There was just no way that they could draw the new maps in time for the special elections. And that led the federal district court to say, OK, you can wait until 2018 to impose these new remedial maps. So they bought another year out of it. But in reality, Wolf notes, as the newly discovered Hoffeller documents now demonstrate, that claim by the North Carolina Republicans in 2017 was a lie. The documents found on his hard drive after he died and his estranged daughter turned that hard drive over to the plaintiffs in this state case, in the state legisl- uh, legislative gerrymandering case. On that hard drive, we find documents that show that not only had Hoffeller, the GOP gerrymandering expert, not only had he already begun drawing new maps in late 2016 when the districts were initially invalidated, but he'd almost entirely finished. Drawing those new maps by July of the following year when Republicans were pleading in court for more time. We just can't possibly do it.
2: Saying we haven't even started yet.
1: GOP lawmakers ultimately adopted uh, Hoffeller's maps later that year. Republicans even told the court that they hadn't loaded statistics on racial demographics onto Hoffeller's computer But his archives show that, in fact, that was completely false. They lied to this federal court, just out and out lied. Now, there's more. While that earlier racial gerrymandering case was ultimately resolved with federal courts accepting some of the GOP redrawn districts and rejecting others in favor of the court's own nonpartisan districts, those lines did not take effect until the regularly scheduled 2018 elections when Republicans at that point last November finally lost their veto proof majorities in both the House and the Senate in North Carolina. So what do you know when the lines are fairer, or at least fairer Republicans don't do as well? Imagine that. Wolf notes that had there, in fact, been special elections in 2017 uh, with these new maps that they prevented from putting in place. That Republicans instead would almost certainly have lost their supermajorities one year earlier. So, by lying to the court to avoid early elections, the GOP enjoyed their illegally gerrymandered advantage for an extra year, during which time they put forward several power grabbing constitutional amendments on the ballot, four of which ultimately passed last November. A separate law, they wouldn't have even been able to put them forward, most likely. A separate lawsuit is now challenging two of those constitutional amendments. One concerns f- uh, a photo ID voting restrictions to make it harder for certain people to vote. And one that capped the maximum allowable state income tax rate. So uh, separate lawsuits now have seen a state uh, court strike down both of those amendments earlier this year because... They say the legislature at the time lacked a Democratic legitimacy precisely because it had been elected under an unlawful gerrymander. So there's a good chance this new evidence from Hoffeller's archives will make its way into that case as well. And these revelations all may undermine the GOP in the current lawsuit over the legislative maps themselves. I told you this was a mess. I, I And I know it's very difficult to follow, but I think it's important for people to understand just how corrupt this party has become, this entire enterprise called the Republican Party has become. And not just up at the top in the White House, which I'll try to get to if time allows in a little bit, but all the way down to the state and local level where they are just out and out lying to federal courts and hoping that oh somebody doesn't die with their before they erase their hard drive and their daughter finds the documents and shows what a bunch of corrupt liars they are they will say and do anything they can to hold on to power they will censor science to hold on to power back to North Carolina here with a uh, 6 to 1 democratic majority on the state supreme court, yes, the state supreme court; those justices are elected by a statewide vote, so they can't be easily gerrymandered. And the state of uh, of North Carolina has elected to put six Democrats to one Republican when they get a fair fight at the uh, at the ballot box, six to one on the state uh, on the state supreme court. So Democrats control the state Supreme Court, and that court is believed likely to ultimately strike down the GOP's state legislative gerrymanders in this uh, ongoing lawsuit where all of this information just came out in the past few days. Hopefully, that will be struck down by the state Supreme Court before the 2020 election, unless, of course, Republicans want to claim, well, we won't have time to draw new districts before 2020. We haven't even loaded the demographics onto our computer yet. So this evidence Wolf describes as GOP's willful deception in, uh, in federal court, and it could be grounds for the state justices to deny Republican legislators even a chance to redraw the lines again. They may just, the court just say, may say, no, we're going to do this ourselves at this point. That, of course, would lead to fairer, court-drawn districts, Because Democratic Governor Roy Cooper otherwise lacks the constitutional power to veto replacement gerrymanders. So if the Republicans are allowed to uh, draw up new maps, uh, it can't be stopped by the Democratic governor. Regardless of how the state courts rule in this case, another suit will require new state House districts in one county, in Wake County, where uh, that's the capital of Raleigh. That's because when Republicans redrew the maps in 2017 to remedy their racial discrimination, they took the opportunity to gerrymander for partisan advantage in the redrawn maps in four House seats in the Wake County area that did not need to be redrawn in order to fix the discriminatory districts. Got that? Does that make sense?
2: Yeah. They, so they were told they got they kicked r- out of their racial gerrymander, so they decided to try a really egregious partisan gerrymandering instead because they just can't win unless they cheat
1: in other districts, right? So uh, anyway, now we are all waiting for the U.S. Supreme Court, which will be coming down with their ruling any day concerning the uh, gerry, the partisan gerrymandering that replaced the racial gerrymandering. Of the U.S. House seats in North Carolina, where a federal court has said, you gotta redraw all the U.S. House maps in North Carolina. And the stolen, corrupt U.S. Supreme Court said, no, 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 you gotta, no, wait, wait for us. We're going to, we wanna look at this. We wanna have the final word on this. And so that's what we're going to hear from uh, Republicans, uh, from, well, from the U.S. Supreme Court, which is, yes. Republicans uh, in, uh, at some point in the next few days or weeks. So, wow. When I tell you that Republic, the Republican Party is now an entirely corrupt enterprise from top to bottom, this is the sort of thing I'm talking about. They are not a legitimate political party anymore. Period. They are corrupt tools of the right-wing corporate establishment. Period. Now, that does not make Democrats a wonderful party. That does not make me a Democrat for pointing these things out. This makes me a truth teller for pointing these things out. Yeah, there are problems with the Democratic Party. I do not find them to be a corrupt enterprise from the top to the bottom. Like the Republicans are, period. And speaking of corrupt tools of the right wing corporate establishment, since I mentioned uh, Florida, let's move down the coast To the Sunshine State, where you will recall last November, some 65 percent of the electorate in a statewide ballot measure finally ended Florida's lifetime ban on voting rights for former felons who have completed all of their sentences and their parole and their probation, etc. Well, we've already reported that the GOP-controlled state legislature down there under the state's new Republican governor, Ron DeSantis, who reportedly uh, won last November as governor by less than one-half of one percent over his Democratic opponent, Andrew Gillum. I say reportedly because, well, we never got to count all of the ballots by hand to actually find out if, in fact, Ron DeSantis won. But those Republicans have gutted that landmark state, uh, statewide constitutional amendment by requiring former felons uh, to also have paid off all fines and court fees before they're allowed to vote in what will almost certainly be challenged in court as a poll tax, because it means if you have money, you can vote. But if you're poor, because let's say you've been in prison for a while, you can't vote. Now, that measure was supported. It got 65 percent of the vote. It was supported statewide by a coalition of groups from the left and the right and the center, by the ACLU, by the League of Women Voters, by the Chamber of Commerce, by the Koch brothers. But even that apparently was just too lefty for the Republicans in power now in Tallahassee. Just too much democracy going on when 65 percent of the state's voters actually uh, want something after uh, spending years to get a citizen led initiative on the ballot to do something that state lawmakers, frankly, should have done themselves decades ago. In fact, centuries ago, because Florida's lifetime ban on felons voting, that was a post 15th Amendment scam to keep freed slaves from being able to vote. So, you know, more than 100 years later, it took a, a, a constitutional measure and a vote of 65% of the electorate to undo that. And now uh, the Republicans in, in, uh, in the uh, state legislature in Florida are undoing that with, with uh, a law to undermine the constitutional amendment. But it gets even worse. As the Tampa Bay Times reported on Friday, Florida's new governor, Ron DeSantis, approved legislation that would crack down on citizen petitions in order to quash future ballot initiatives that are disliked by Republican lawmakers and their corporate donors. The Tampa Bay Times says the bill, which takes effect before the 2020 election, makes it drastically harder to collect enough signatures to make it onto voters' ballots, and it will solidify Republican control in Tallahassee by eliminating one of the last threats to their power, The ballot box. Orlando attorney John Morgan, who was trying to get an amendment on next year's ballot to raise the state's minimum wage, he blasted state lawmakers. He said, quote, I know these people and they're basically run and owned by lobbyists. And the constitutional amendment takes the power away from the lobbyists and gives it to the people. And they don't want that. He said, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure it out. Nonetheless, DeSantis signed the bill on Friday and was reportedly the driving force behind it. The bill had previously died in the middle of the year's legislative session, but it was resurrected in the closing hours. It was amended to another bill at the last minute at the urging of the new governor. DeSantis told reporters after the session ended last month, he said, Last year we had so many amendments that I think we need reform. Whether this is enough, I don't know. We've let too much policy go into the Constitution. So now uh, the new law adds all kinds of uh, penalties, makes it more difficult for uh, petitioners to gather signatures. It's already you have to gather, I think it's something like 766,000 signatures in order to get a, uh, a measure on the statewide ballot in Florida. If they don't do certain things, there'll be thousands of dollars in fines. They have to sign up in order to to collect signatures in the first place. They have to register. Republican lawmakers justified this bill by saying that it was meant, wait, wait for it, to crack down on fraud. But its advocate in the Senate, Republican David Simmons, could not point to any cases of fraud in the process. Sound familiar? It's the same scam they've used for years to limit people's access to the ballot box by requiring certain very specific types of photo IDs, which they know that millions of largely Democratic-leaning Americans do not have, even though in case after case and state after state, They have been unable to document any of the type of fraud that would supposedly be deterred by the extreme polling place photo ID restrictions. And now they're using that same scam to take away democracy entirely from the people. The Times goes on to note that uh, what the legislation is sure to do is stifle the last area outside of statewide Republican control in Florida. Republicans there now control the legislature, the cabinet, the governor's mansion, and they have done so for the last 20 years. And now every single member of the state Supreme Court has been appointed by Republicans, where the governor appoints them in the Sunshine State. Over the last several years, at least 60 percent of voters have changed the Constitution To require the legislature adopt fair voter districts, allow medical marijuana, protect environmental lands, and restore the right to vote for felons. That had to be done at the ballot box, not at the legislature, because Republicans wouldn't allow it. All of those things. In fact, it's already difficult. It already requires 60% of the vote in order to pass a constitutional amendment in Florida. That's a requirement. That requirement for 60% was itself a GOP initiative to make it harder to get constitutional amendments passed. That measure was adopted by a statewide amendment vote a few years ago, by the way, with just about 57 percent of the voters agreeing to it. But back then, that was good enough. More amendments are uh, said to be on the way, or at least they were before DeSantis signed this bill. Now everything is uh, up in the air. Morgan, who has this uh, who led the medical marijuana initiative and has this minimum wage amendment uh, coming, he says he's got most of his signatures already before this bill goes into effect. So hopefully that minimum wage bill that increases the minimum wage will be on the ballot next year. But he said, I feel bad for the rank and file citizens of Florida. And I think it's why you look around and people think they don't matter. Money is what runs Florida. And he adds what runs America well boy howdy is he right a corrupt enterprise from top to bottom so um one more corruption (laughs) how about a response from uh gop lawmakers who did not even show up today for a hearing on a bill on capitol hill for medical care to 9 11 first responders john stewart's remarkable and heartbreaking congressional testimony this afternoon in full, in the U.S. House, right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. This is the Bradcast. Welcome back. It's the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Comedian John Stewart ripped into Congress on Tuesday during a House Judiciary Committee hearing for failing to properly fund the September 11 Victim Compensation Fund. The VCF announced on February 15 that it was running out of money, which would lead to, quote, significant reductions in awards to the victims of 9-11, including the first responders who still suffer illnesses from breathing in the fumes of the destroyed World Trade Center back in 2001. Stewart, along with a group of first responders who assisted in the, uh, the immediate aftermath of the attacks, appeared on Capitol Hill today to push the committee to reauthorize the VCF to try and make it permanent rather than simply uh, reauthorizing it for another five years when they would sadly have to come and do this yet again. Yes, you've seen John Stewart do this before. And every time he shows up with these firefighters and, and police and other first responders, there are fewer and fewer in the ranks because more and more firefighters, police and other first responders who were there that day on 9-11 continue to die from health related problems, directly related to their response on and in the pile at Ground Zero on 9-11. During his scorching testimony, Stewart blasted the committee and Congress at large for their callous indifference and rank hypocrisy. He began by criticizing the nearly empty side of the room where lawmakers sat with many GOP lawmakers nowhere to be found in the House committee today.
0: I want to thank Mr. Collins and Mr. Naylor for putting this together. But uh, as I sit here today, I can't help but think what an incredible metaphor this room is for the entire process that getting health care and benefits for 9-11 first responders has come to. Behind me, a filled room of 9-11 first responders. And in front of me, A nearly empty Congress. Sick and dying. They brought themselves down here to speak. To no one. It's shameful. It's an embarrassment to the country, and it is a stain on this institution. And you should be ashamed of yourselves. For those that aren't here, but you won't be. Because accountability doesn't appear to be something that occurs in this chamber. We don't want to be here. Lou doesn't want to be here. None of these people want to be here. But they are, and they're not here for themselves. They're here to continue fighting for what's right. Lou's going to go back for his 69th chemo. The great Ray Pfeiffer would come down here his body riddled with cancer and pain where he couldn't walk and the disrespect shown to him and to the other lobbyists on this bill is utterly unacceptable. You know, I used to get, I I would be so angry at the latest injustice that's done to these men and women. And uh, you know another business card thrown our way, uh, as a way of, of shooing us away, like children trick-or-treating, rather than the heroes that they are and will always be. Ray would say, "Calm down, Johnny. Calm down. I got all the cards I need," and he would tap his pocket. where he kept the prayer cards 343 firefighters. The official FDNY response time to 9-11 was five seconds. Five seconds. That's how long it took for FDNY, for NYPD, for Port Authority, for EMS, to respond to an urgent need from the public. Five seconds. Hundreds died in an instant. Thousands more poured in to continue to fight for their brothers and sisters. The breathing problem started almost immediately. And they were told they weren't sick, they were crazy. And then, as the illnesses got worse, and things became more apparent, well, okay, you're sick, but it's not from the pile. And then, when the science became irrefutable, okay, it's the pile, but this is a New York issue. I don't know if we have the money And I'm sorry if I sound angry and undiplomatic, but I'm angry, and you should be too, and they're all angry as well. And they have every justification to be that way. There is not a person here, there is not an empty chair on that stage that didn't tweet out, never forget the heroes of 9-11. Never forget their bravery. Never forget what they did, what they gave to this country. Well, here they are. And where are they? And it would be one thing if their callous indifference and rank hypocrisy were benign, but it's not. Your indifference cost these men and women their most valuable commodity. Time! It's the one thing they're running out of. This should be flipped. This hearing should be flipped. These men and women should be up on that stage and Congress should be down here answering their questions as to why this is so damn hard and takes so damn long. And why no matter what they get, something's always pulled back and they gotta come back. Mr. Johnson, you, you, you made a point earlier and it was one that we have heard over and over again in these halls and I, I, I couldn't help but to answer to it, which was, you said, look, you know, you guys are obviously heroes and 9-11 was a big deal, but you know, We have a lot of stuff here to do, and, uh, you know, we got to make sure there's money for a variety of uh, uh, disasters, hurricanes, and tornadoes. But this wasn't a hurricane, and this wasn't a tornado. And by the way, that's your job anyway. We can't fund these programs. You can. Setting aside that no American in this country should face financial ruin because of uh, a health issue, certainly 9-11 first responders shouldn't have to decide whether to live or to have a place to live. And the idea that you can only give them five more years of the VCF because you're not quite sure what's going to happen five years from now, well, I can tell you, I'm pretty sure what's going to happen five years from now. More of these men and women are going to get sick, and they are going to die. And I am awfully tired of hearing that it's a a 9-11 New York issue. Al-Qaeda didn't shout, death to Tribeca. They attacked America, and these men and women, and their response to it, is what brought our country back. It's what gave a reeling nation a solid foundation to stand back upon, to remind us of why this country is great, of why this country is worth fighting for, and you are ignoring them. And you can end it tomorrow. Why this bill isn't unanimous consent and a standalone issue is beyond my comprehension. And I have yet to hear a reasonable explanation for why. It'll get stuck in some transportation bill or some appropriations bill and get sent over to the Senate where a certain someone from the Senate will use it as a political football To get themselves maybe another new import tax on petroleum because that's what happened to us in 2015 and we won't allow it to happen again thank god for people like john field thank god for people like ray pfeiffer thank god for all of these people who will not let it happen they responded in five seconds they did their jobs with courage, grace, tenacity, humility. 18 years later, do yours. Thank you. you.
1: John Stewart, receiving a standing ovation in uh, Congress today after that statement take a quick break and we are back with the green news report i'm brad friedman this is the bradcast the with you. well desi doyen i didn't know if we would get to this uh today i know cut a whole bunch of stuff to try to
2: that fit everything Boy. in, yeah. I know, it's yeah. just too much. And,
1: and I failed to fit everything in, but that's what tomorrow is for. <laughs> we do know it's uh, one hell of a day when the Green News Report is the lightest, most fun news of the day. But so be it, our latest Green News Report. Two words that get the attention of most national security professionals are uncertainty and surprise. And climate change will bring significant amounts of both.
2: Surprise! White House censors intelligence officials' congressional testimony on climate change. India's deadly heat wave triggers water conflicts. Canada to ban single-use plastic nationwide. Plus,
1: we can't wait to act.
2: Former New York mayor launches Beyond Carbon initiative to fight climate change.
1: All of those fights and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And
2: I'm Desi Doyan.
1: Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment.
0: Tornadoes. I don't remember tornadoes in the U.S. to the extent. But then when you look back, 40 years ago, we had the worst tornado binge that we've ever had you know, a tornado binge. Who hasn't <laughs> Who hasn't gone out for a tornado and had a few too many?
1: <laughs> this is your Green News Report.
0: Man, what did we do last night? Why does my mouth taste like a flat trailer park? I'm
2: gonna soak up the sun.
1: Okay, Desi Doyen after weeks and weeks and weeks of terrible weather news in the central US, good news is It's clearing up. Bad news. All of that terrible weather has moved to the southeast, where in some places they got a month's worth of rain in one single day over the weekend.
2: Yes, and of course that forced evacuations and high water rescues. And that's exactly in line with observed data that shows heavy rainfall events have already increased in the United States since the 1950s. Well, a foot of rain in a single day... Why worry? But it's the opposite problem in India, where a persistent near-record heat wave has killed hundreds of people and triggered water shortages. Temperatures as high as 122 degrees Fahrenheit. Officials have ordered police escorts for all water tankers and guards at water sources after multiple stabbings and assaults in communities that are suffering water shortages. Mm. India's Weather Service reports that heat waves are increasing in frequency and intensity in the country.
1: I bet they are.
2: In the United States, the Washington Post reports that the Trump White House tried to stop a senior State Department intelligence analyst from testifying to Congress about the impacts of climate change on national security because his warnings about, quote, possibly catastrophic impacts contradicts the views of the Trump administration. In a highly unusual move, the White House blocked Dr. Rod Schoonover's written testimony from being entered into the permanent congressional record. However, Schoonover was allowed to speak to the House Intelligence Committee, including this rather stunning assessment.
1: Absent extensive mitigating factors or events, we see few plausible future scenarios where significant harm does not arise from the compounded effects of climate change. People's choices in the present and future, however, Dictate the magnitude of many factors. So he was allowed to give his testimony, but the White House just did not allow him to submit his written testimony for the congressional record? Yes. That's kind of nuts.
2: Yep. The Trump Defense Department has also quietly released its new Arctic strategy that characterizes melting sea ice as a factor that is transforming the Arctic into a great powers competition between the U.S., Russia, and China over domination of new trade routes and valuable mineral resources.
1: So it's a great thing.
2: However, the Defense Department strategy just flat out omits any mention of man-made climate change as the driver that is causing those effects in the region.
1: Well, they wouldn't allow them to include their written testimony, I guess.
2: But some good news. Canada announced on Monday that it will ban all single-use plastic like straws and cutlery nationwide starting in 2021. They're the latest country to join the global movement to combat plastic pollution. But Canada is going even further. Its environment minister also said the government is going to transfer the cost burden of disposal and recycling of plastic waste away from towns to the companies that generate the plastic waste. Waste in the first place. Oh,
1: Canada. So you're saying that the companies are going to have to pay if they want to create disposable plastic.
2: Exactly.
1: So they don't get to pollute for free. Exactly. Sounds familiar and like a very good
2: idea. Finally, Former New York City mayor and billionaire Michael Bloomberg has announced he is donating $500 million to a new campaign in partnership with the Sierra Club. The Beyond Carbon initiative will focus on closing all U.S. coal-fired power plants and halting the growth of natural gas infrastructure because it will exacerbate climate change for decades to come. In a commencement speech to MIT, Bloomberg acknowledged that because there is no chance of climate change legislation passing in the Republic, Republican-controlled Senate until after the 2020 election, he's stepping up now.
0: We can't wait to act. We can't put this mission off any longer. Mother nature does not wait on the election calendar, and neither can we.
1: Well said, Mr. Diminutive Mayor, small man, big money. For much more on all of these reports and the ones we couldn't get to today, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Don't forget, you can download our reports anytime via Stitcher, TuneIn, iTunes, or Google Play. Find, follow, and share us planetwide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. And this has been your Green News Report. You know i I inappropriately uh, called uh, Bloomberg uh, diminutive and short and made fun of him for <laughs> that made a short I, person, I, I, I need to apologize because, <laughs> in fact, he did give five hundred million
2: dollars half
1: a billion dollars
2: half a billion yeah. dollars. In fact, he actually decided not to run for president like the thousand people who already are and decided to put his money instead toward getting this climate action. Policy underway in in any way that it possibly can be done by uh, through through local races, through state races, through initiatives in cities. Uh, it's a pretty broad-based uh, initiative that he's working on with the Sierra Club, and I they did great success with their Beyond Coal campaign that shut down most of the coal-fired power plants in the United States. Now they're turning their sights on natural gas, as they should.
1: That said, uh, it's kind of the equivalent of me putting uh, you know two thousand dollars towards uh, stopping climate change. I mean, he's got a lot of money, is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> he here. does. So it's not that much... Uh, You know, at a certain point, you get a number of billions of dollars. You probably don't need them all anymore. Just saying. But anyway, there you go. Thank you very much, Desi Doyen. And thanks to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. I know this was a tough one today, uh, but thank you for sticking with us. If you missed any portion of today's program or any other, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com or your favorite podcast site. You can also drop me email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com, and I hope you will find and follow all that uh, we do on the Twitters and the Facebooks as well, where you can find me as the Brad Blog. And uh, until Mike Bloomberg... By the way, has Mike Bloomberg called to give us... You know, we've been doing the Green News Report for how many years now? Ten, <laughs> more than 10. More than 10 years. Have we gotten a single donation from the former mayor of New York City?
2: We have not.
1: He is short and diminutive, and I'm glad I said it. (laughs) All right. But thanks to those of you who aren't uh, Mayor Bloomberg, who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to help keep Desi and I on your public airwaves every day. bradblog.com slash donate. We do it only with your support, not Bloomberg's. That's it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.